And we're back. Welcome, friends, to the Shuttle Pod, episode 86. I am your host, Jared Whitley. I am joined by my friends, Kayla Iacovino. Hey, everybody. And our special guest, Lori Ulster. Hello, everyone. She's not the most scrutable man we know, but she's still pretty good. (laughs) Maybe I am. The most scrutable man you know. Maybe so. That's just how scrutable you are. That's pretty scrutable. It seems like it would be impossible to conceal being scrutable, given what that means. I don't think think that's even a word. Anyway, so today is September 1st, 2020. And this is around the time of year that you see a lot of celebrations of TOS, because the first episode premiered on September 8th. But we thought... You know, we do that so much that we thought it might be better to find some other milestone. And someone pointed out, Kayla, I think it was you, that this is actually the 25th anniversary of Voyager, but we uh, hadn't, which premiered in 1995. But we hadn't done a retrospective on that just because I think there had been so much news with Disco and everything and Picard. Mm-hmm. And this is, so, so this is the 25th anniversary year, as it were. I believe it uh, sure. premiered in January, January. of 1995. Yeah. Mid, mid-January, yeah. January 16th. Well done. So we missed that one, but we, um, we're picking <laughs> Only it up. a couple of months. We're picking it up eight months later. So because we're celebrating so hard all year long. Yes, it is. That we're just now getting around to it. Right. Exactly. We've been just, we've, just thinking about Voyager for the last eight months. We've been so busy with it. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> but before we get underway, I think, Kayla, you wanted to talk about a uh, spinoff podcast. From the shuttle pod. Yeah, so I just wanted to remind all of our viewers that, you know, some of you probably already recognize Lori. She's been on the shuttle pod a number of times, but also she is one of the new co hosts, along with Tony Pascal, of the All Access podcast. So for our regular listeners, if you haven't listened to a podcast in a few weeks, first of all, welcome back. We missed you. Um, second of all, you probably noticed that new. Um, a new podcast started appearing on your ShuttlePod feed called the All Access Star Trek Podcast. And that is the, the second TrekMovie.com podcast, the second in a in a uh, series of two, um, starring uh, Tony Pascal and Lori Ulster. And over there is where you can hear everything you want to know about all of the goings-on in the sort of Kurtzman-era universe of Trek. So that's all the new stuff on TV, uh, the Kelvinverse movies, um, that kind of stuff, and re- weekly reviews of all the new episodes that are coming out on TV. So right now they're discussing Lower Decks. Um, and over here at the ShuttlePod, we'll also, you know, still be doing reviews here and there, um, but we won't be reviewing, say, every episode of Lower Decks, for example, or every episode of Discovery, um, because there's so much Star Trek content on TV right now that it would just literally take up the entire shuttle pod show all year long that's which is awesome in a way because we have that much new track but we also want to talk about other cool stuff like the voyager 25th anniversary so now we have two fun podcasts for you to do that yay woohoo so we appreciate this crossover this is like that time on voyager when quark tried to sell some worthless knickknacks to harry kim right <laughs> Well, is Lori Quark in this analogy? I, I hope I'm not trying no, to sell worthless I, I think I think I'm Quark. I'm I would be happier being Quark than Lori would. So I think I think I think you're Harry Kim and maybe Lori's Tom Paris. Is that okay? 
Yeah, I was going to say, the one in that scenario I'd most like to be is Tom Paris. Sure. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you don't want to be Harry Kim, you don't have to. We'll find someone else. Okay, let's mix it up for a second and go off script, because I just have this wonderful idea. If you could be one character on Voyager, who would you be? Oh, that's I a would question. be Vorik, Torik's twin brother. <laughs> I call Queen Arachnia. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> um, I am gonna. Oh, I'm just gonna call Seven of Nine because mm. I like angst and trouble. <laughs> you get a lot of that. Yep. I like being complex and tormented. <laughs> and, and also, sexy and badass at and the same time. Sexy and stronger and smarter than everybody else. Mm-hmm. As as well as um helping revitalize the show or your life or whatever from taking the position from someone else who is much less popular. <laughs> Aw, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, and that's foreshadowing for what we have to come. So mm -hmm. are we ready to get into the nitty-gritty of this? Let's yes. do it. Okay, so, so what we want to do is we want to look back 25 years to when Voyager started. We want to talk about our general reactions to it. In terms of like just broad brushes strokes. So so uh, Kayla, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, so yeah, broad brush strokes reaction to Voyager. Um, I really like Voyager. I think Voyager is often sort of portrayed as like the redheaded stepchild of Trek. And I know people say that about DS9, but I think that's wholly untrue. Everyone yeah. loves DS9. Yeah, yeah, completely um, untrue. Yeah, no, they like to act like everyone hates them, and they're, like, the the odd one out. And it's like, no, everyone loves DS9. Stop playing the victim. <laughs> but mm -hmm. honestly, like, Voyager is so much more a victim of that, I think, than DS9. Um, I agree. I agree. It's And I think because a lot of people see it, as, it has a lot of similarities to, to TNG, and then it also has sort of its own thing going on, but it's, like, this weird blend of originality and meshed in with the TNG universe. Um, so I think in that way, if you're only a casual viewer, if you're not like a, uh, you know, diehard Trek fan and you're only seeing it on TV every once in a while, I could see you like confusing it with TNG, for example, in terms of the, t the tone and the style. Mm, sure. Um, even, even though it does have quite a bit different. Um, but I think that you can appreciate that once you really get into it more. Um, I think that there are things I wish that they could have done more of with Voyager exploration wise, but I think... Also, they got to play around with some really cool concepts um, that the other shows didn't do as much, which I'll only say that much of it for now, um, because I'll get into that more when we talk about um, the specific episodes that we're going to talk about. But in the end, like, I love Voyager. I think Captain Janeway is one of the strongest role models in all of Star Trek history. Um, and I think she's a strong role model to a lot of people and a lot of women that had some other role models but maybe not quite in the way that, that i think janeway fills fills a hole in terms of female role models on track i i also think if i can add kate mulgrow was a better choice for the role than genevieve bujold would have been like oh yeah yeah the, the audible yep. i don't know if it's rick berman or who or jerry or, or jerry taylor whoever called the audible like that was inspired to make that change yeah because because uh, Kate Mulgrew, is, she's so much better. She's great. The thing I like best about her is the way she can do the wry humor, right? Mm -hmm, and I, mm -hmm. I think, I think Miss Bujold, for all her strengths, probably wouldn't have pulled that off as well. 
Anyway, Lori, what do you think? General Broadstrokes. Um, I'm a huge Voyager fan. I love it. I, I liked that it was... I thought it had the right combination of being episodic, which allowed them to tell a huge range of different stories, but having consistent character growth throughout the seven seasons so that by the time you got to the end, these people were most of them, not all of them, but most of them were just not the same people that they had been at Mm. the beginning, which I really appreciated. And I also, the captain for me was a huge role model. And I think a part of it is that she was a great captain, but she also was allowed to be more personal than I Mm -hmm. think our previous captains had been. And that that didn't have to be a negative. In fact, I thought it was a positive. And I was doing a lot of going in a lot of leadership roles myself at the time and found it reassuring to know that I could still be myself and be a leader at the same time. Did you ever have to lead a group of people into a nebula to recover coffee beans? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> no. That, I did lead many coffee missions, but they were usually just down the block to Starbucks. Just down the Starbucks, yeah. You have a little <laughs> okay, so but I, I want. I thought oh, they had great. I sorry, I just want to add, like no, the, the characters. I thought were so strong, and we're going to talk about Seven of Nine later. But I was really pissed when I was reading all the stuff about how they were hiring this hottie, and here are the pictures, and she's in a cat suit, and I was so mad. And of course, she became one of my all-time favorite. Star Trek characters. You can appeal to more superficial, prurient interests and still be more substantive at the same time. Look at that. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) Okay. So the thing that I need to say about Voyager is twofold. Uh, I mean, uh, right here in terms of broad breaststrokes. So with every Trek movie, uh, franchise of Trek, when I'm rewatching it, I'll skip the intro, but with Voyager, I just can't. Of all of them, Voyager has the best intro. I think it has the best music, and I think the the beautiful spacescape that they paint with their 1995 computers still looks <laughs> terrific in 2020. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. It, I also, I feel validated in this. It is the only intro to have ever been nominated for the Emmy for Best Title Sequence. Whoa! Hey, look at that. Nice. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it won that year. I need. I would need to. to double check or someone can double check and tweet it to us at trekmovie.com um, but uh, it's just absolutely beautiful and I, the two episodes I rewatched today uh, I, I had I had to re-listen to that music it's it's just that it's just that good the other thing I have to say I was not a big Voyager guy back in the day and I guess I'm not a huge Voyager guy right now the problem I had is I don't I don't think it helped that it was on at the same time as Deep Space Nine which I loved so much mm. And then it really, really didn't help that the UPN affiliate in here in Salt Lake City, it was on right after Babylon 5 because Babylon 5 was felt so fresh and different. And then it would go to Voyager and it didn't feel as distinct. So I have enjoyed being able to go back and rewatch stuff in a vacuum and see some things that I didn't see before or hadn't appreciated before. Mm-hmm. So that's that's those are my broad brushstrokes. All right. Now, in terms of what Voyager was supposed to be versus what it eventually became, we wanted to, to get into that because, of course, yeah, the I, think, main... I think we can't we can't skip over that because it's it's an important part of like Voyager's DNA. T- tell us more about that. Be look look into the uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, 
endoplasmic reticulum or whatever it is to tell me what Voyager's <laughs> DNA is. Sorry. As... As Riker tells Dr. Crusher in an episode where they need someone to listen to exposition, it's been a long time since I took genetics, Kayla. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I watched that episode recently. I just heard that line. Um, yeah, so, and you guys can correct me on, like, the specifics of this, um, but my understanding is that, you know, Voyager, well, I mean, as we all know, Voyager was set up to be this um, clash of these two different groups of people being mm-hmm. the Maquis and the Starfleet crew, obviously in the season one, you know, episode one, season one, they end up in the Delta quadrant and it's the, these, these two completely, you know, enemy uh, groups of people aboard the same ship now forced to work together to survive. And my understanding is that they were supposed to spend a lot more time exploring that um, conflict. So, you know, integrating the Maquis into the ship and having different points of view um, between the two groups and instead, um, and, you know, we're, you know, kind of dealing with that struggle in their attempt to get back home. And, you know, what ended up really happening is in the first ep- and second episode, they basically just say, oh, I guess we're all Starfleet now. And then like yep. episode two or three, it's just a happy Starfleet crew together. Yeah. And there, there's not, you don't get to see a lot of that conflict, which is, I think unfortunate because it's set up that way. So you're like, ooh, this will be like a cool what if story. Um, I could see like being at a pitch meeting and saying, okay, we have these two crews and they're stranded and they have to work together. Like that's a, a compelling pitch for the show. Mm, and the yeah. show, you, even not having heard that pitch, you watch the first episode, the first half of, of Caretaker yep. Part 1, and you think that's what you're about to get. And then they kind of don't deliver on that. No. So I think that that rubs a lot of people the wrong way and is there more to it too that you want to talk about so the first i just need to add i love that you said that the first half of caretaker has more promise than any other pilot in in star trek history i just remember watching it in 95 and then rewatching it a couple years ago before disco premiered when we did our our pilot review and Mm -hmm. that first half is amazing you're just like wow this is going to be so cool and fun and sexy and exciting and then by the very end, it didn't even take till the second episode, Kayla. By the very end, when Janeway says, let's blow up the array, Balana says, wait, how can you do this to us? And Chakotay grabs her arm and says, because she's the captain. And that's it right Ugh. there. Yeah. The, the, the conflict between Starfleet and the Maquis didn't even last t- through the end of the pilot. So they did sprinkle it in sort of little bits across the first season every once in a while. Every once in a while, they'd pop back in on that vision. And then forget about it again. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and even when that vision was fleshed out, the fundamental problem I have with it is that's a Deep Space Nine idea that what they're doing is because the Cardassians were the villains of Deep Space Nine and the idea of questioning Starfleet's uh, moral perfection. That was the Deep Space Nine thing. And so to pull that out and base an entire other series on it reinforced a criticism I think a lot of people had or a sensation a lot of people had that Voyager was a copy of a copy, right? And I think it would have been much stronger if they'd come up with either the crew, the other crew that got catapulted into the Delta Quadrant were like a group of Romulans, like who were actual enemies because the Maquis weren't the enemies. They they didn't want to kill the Starfleet or vice versa. They just had differing political views, right? Um, or if they'd come up with a completely different alien culture entirely and done that. And so I think this is a, a measure of, or, or an example of the uh, no half measures, Walter, like on Breaking Bad, where they kind of wanted to do this, but A, they were already kind of doing it on Deep Space Nine, and B, they didn't really do it wholeheartedly on Voyager. It's yeah. It would have been interesting if 
those Maquis characters hadn't had that Starfleet training. Like Balana and Chakotay That's the both other thing. spent That's time the other in Starfleet. Thing. Yep. Yeah. So I was just yeah, as you were saying that, I was thinking oh, it would have been interesting if they'd never had that. Yeah, if she'd if she'd been raised in an entirely Klingon environment, or if I don't know if they'd had some a completely alien race entirely that wasn't that wasn't uh, Maquis. Or, or, or even if Federation. you know they were they were sort of from Federation colonies or something, but they never were in Starfleet. They right. never were. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trained that way. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, I was flipping through the. I have the show Bible. I mean, it's online. It's easy to get. And just flipping through their descriptions of characters, and how some of those things just didn't happen at oh, all. Oh, like what? Like what? And some were interesting to me and some were not. The first thing I thought they should have done that they they botched this part, actually, is with Janeway and her holo novels. You know how she was always doing those annoying, like, I'm the governess for Lord Burley. Oh, yeah, Burley. like, like Janeway <laughs> yes. or whatever. We, we <laughs> yes. were making fun of Lord Burley forever. But apparently the idea was supposed to be that she always would go into these holo novels to be a pioneer woman with a husband and a family. So the idea of it was that she was, it was completely different from being on a starship and she got that family connection, which to me, I would understand why maybe a captain, I wouldn't want to do that, but why maybe a captain would want to do that. But I never understood why she wanted to be Lord Burley's governess. <laughs> right. It, I was like, that doesn't look fun at all. It didn't seem like as interesting of a fantasy as say Dixon Hill. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or like roughing it with no technology. Like, I could see I would never like that. I'm not a camper, but I could see her wanting to do that. So that was, to me, a big a big thing I wish they'd done. And then that the um, Chakotay and Harry Kim were supposed to have a special bond. And really? It's, it's, this is what it said. It was so interesting. It said, he strikes an unusual bond with Kim, who, through Chakotay's example, begins to question his own homogenization and the loss of his traditional values. Oh, that Wait, would what? have been so interesting. So that's really interesting. And that Tuvok and Balana were supposed to have a very intense relationship because she really appreciated how he was able to control his volatile instincts and she was struggling with that. So they had a connection through that, which mm. didn't happen. Not at all. So, And in fact, they described her. Are you ready for the description of her? Let's this is good. A fetching young beauty with an incandescent sexuality. She turns head. Oh, God. But she has designs on Tom Paris. Wait, so it, is this like, uh, did someone hit control C, control V from some fanfic about Ilea? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it did describe, yeah. I went in and described her whole Klingon human conflict and her background and all of that stuff, but I was stopped cold at a fetching yeah. young beauty with an incandescent sexuality it, it sounds like gene ronberry wrote it i know it didn't really <laughs> but it sounds like it did it totally does um it, it also sounds like the kind of thing that maybe because voyager was written to for a network and not syndicated the kind of thing to win over like studio executives so it may have yeah, just been a, a trojan yeah. horse right Possibly. They also, and the other thing with Harry Kim was they said that he's, because he was so sheltered, which I think they sort of touched on on yeah. the show, yeah. that he yeah. didn't have a lot of coping tools when things weren't going well and that he was scared a lot. And mm. they said he's, he's suffering more than anyone else because of the distance and that everyone hangs out in his quarters because they know that. 
Oh, I know. It sounded so nice. That's endearing. It's, so, so I mean, how typical do you think it is? Because th- there's a lot of changes there that we've discussed. Like, how typical do you think it, it is that a TV show will change that dramatically, or is it not that dramatic? Who? I mean, who knows? Once they start with episodes, they probably were immediately seeing what worked and what didn't. So, so it was evolving as it went. The fact that they canned their first captain is an indication of that, like we just said. But they might even have noticed chemistry between certain actors and things like that that they just thought worked better. Who knows? I mean, we know the writer's room was pretty separate from the actors and they weren't having lots of conversations. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, so I don't I don't know how the, when those things changed or hmm. what made them do it. But it was interesting to see some of the intentions for those characters. Mm-hmm. What did they say about the doctor? Do you remember? They, the main thing, everything else was really spot on, except that he was going to be called Doc Zimmerman, which I remember. That. Oh, like, yeah. I, I remember like, that in the TV I feel guide. I like that went out in some, some press materials for sure. So, yeah, that was it. But everything else they described and how he would evolve. I mean, they weren't specific about it, but that he would evolve was I all wonder, was in there. And it was pretty I wonder, accurate. I wonder if that was a pun because Zimmerman in German means room man. And for the first couple seasons, he was stuck in a room. Oh, oh, that's funny. That could be. It could be just a coincidence. Yeah. That's awesome, though. I like it. I like that well, piece of head cannon. Yeah, thank and you. The final thing they said about Kess and Neelix, besides Uh-oh. describing Kess as his Ocampa lover, and I was like, ah, because she was like two. But anyway, right? It said that she. The idea was that she would work with him in the kitchen. But she would rather be roaming the ship, and so he can never find her, and he always thinks she's fooling around with someone else. So I'm glad they didn't do that. No, they did. They did. There's like a full episode where he's convinced that she's hooking up with Tom. It's a terrible episode. But but the way it was described in there was that, one, she's supposed to be in the kitchen. He can never find her, and he Uh always thinks she's just with some random, some rando, as Matt Wright would say. Um, <laughs> like there she is with in the closet with some rando. So uh, that was an interesting, <laughs> an interesting idea for those guys. I'm yeah. glad they. I'm you know we didn't need a lot of that. The jealousy thing with Tom Paris, I was never that interested no, in. No, anyway. it was always bad. Yeah. Because, like we say, there's there's no way that that relationship didn't seem wrong to begin with mm-hmm. because of her youth. Yeah. Even though we don't know what age of consent laws are like among the Ocampa. <laughs> <laughs> Six months. Cause, Go cause for it. We, yeah. we, we do know that an Ocampan female can have can have only one baby in her life, um, which, of course, means the population would, at best, shrink by half every generation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that doesn't work. Just, someone yeah, wasn't whole... paying attention. No, the, and the nine-year thing never quite made sense to me either. I think they just wanted to do, like, someone who was the opposite of Guinan, right? And it's like, Guinan's really old. Let's do someone who's super young. And Guinan's it... old and wise. Let's do someone, someone who's young and naive. I don't know. <laughs> but she was wise. I mean, I actually, I, I like the actress, Yay. Jennifer Lean. I like her. I'd seen her in, uh, she was on a soap opera I used to watch and adore. So I know her from that. And then she did American History X afterwards. With, and I thought with she a- did a good with job Avery Brooks. with what she was given. Yeah, yeah. I thought she did a good job with what she was given. She just wasn't always given a lot of good stuff, but occasionally mm. she got to do something fun. And whenever she did, she I think she did a good job. Didn't she eat a bug in one episode? Didn't she what? Didn't she eat a bug? Isn't there an episode where she eats a bug? Yes, she eats else. all these bugs. She, yep, yeah. she just starts eating bugs. 
Why not? It's good protein. Okay, so, so, so something we wanted to talk about is, is of course, the the Maquis stuff didn't really land the way we thought it would, but there was a huge shift in the tone and the kind of stories that happened about halfway through, which of course is the arrival of Seven of Nine. There we go. Do you want to talk about that, Lori? Um, I don't know exactly what to hone in on. I mean, it was that they obviously wanted to bring in someone to stir things up. Yeah. And they needed to lose a character. There are a lot of rumors that they were maybe going to lose uh, Garrett Wong. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, he, yeah, and so, look, he sometimes says that's not true, so I don't I don't know. I wasn't behind the scenes there. Well, he, he might not have known either. Right. Touche. Well, they always, they always say it was that. You know, that the he made the sexiest. Article. Yeah. The, uh, the people article where he was all sexy. But anyway, they decided there, the truth is there was nowhere left to go with Kess. Anyway, that character had nowhere left to go. So they brought in Seven of Nine and then things really changed, not just story wise, but also main character wise. That was the biggest shift because all of a sudden, a lot of the stories, there were characters who had been more front and center who now were more in the background and would occasionally get an episode and a lot of the episodes were you know a seven it was the doctor it was the captain so so um we talked about this a little bit before time but if i can interject there's this uh, uh website or not the website this channel on youtube that did like they do like counts of the number of minutes of screen time that characters have on different tv shows and the one for Voyager is really telling because they show um, how much total time they've had in the whole series, how much total time they've had per season, and then how much total time per episode. And if you look at the first season, the top three characters in terms of screen time are Janeway, Tuvok, and Harry, which shocked me. And then from then on, it's Janeway and the Doctor in the number one in the number one and two spot, and then Chakotay is number three in the second season, and Tuvok is back to number three in the third season. And then from the fourth season on. Janeway has the most screen time, Seven has the second most screen time, and the Doctor has the third. So it yeah. really created, yeah. like, a, th there was a little maybe lack of focus, but they really are the, the the Kirk, Spock, and McCoy of Voyager, so to speak. And what's funny is, again, back in that writer's, in the Bible for the show, Tom Paris was the second character listed. Right okay, and, if, and I, I've said this a couple times. If you watch Caretaker, he is the main character of that episode. Right, you watch that and you think this show is about him, and it what? just it you it I don't baffles. Think I agree with you. Okay, all right. Well, uh, are you asking me to persuade to make my my case? Sure, do it. Okay, because because like everybody's relationship seems to revolve around him, right? I mean, there's that action sequence at the beginning, but then it's Janeway coming to get him out of the penal colony in New Zealand, and then it's about him and Harry, and everything with Harry afterwards is like reacting to people saying, oh, you stay away from that Tom Paris. And then when when the they get the Maquis and beam them aboard the bridge, Chakotay is like furious with Tom Paris for some reason, because he wanted him to pay his bar bills a year ago. Instead of being mad at Tuvok, who has spent the last several months lying to his face with the explicit purpose of throwing him in jail so he will no longer be able to protect his homeland, which is under invasion by lizard space Nazis, right? He doesn't blink at Tuvok at all, but he hates Tom Paris. And then, of course, it ends. You'd think that Chakotay would have some transformative experience with Janeway. And, like, that's what brings the crew together. And he doesn't. He has the experience with Tom, and Tom saves his life. 
and then because of that, Chakotay forgives him because he owes him a life debt like he's Jar Jar Binks on The Phantom Menace. Right? <laughs> and oh, then that's a lot to sort through. And then and then in case just that's just that's very anecdotal, but in terms of that that YouTube channel that listed the times, the total the times for the for caretaker, Janeway has the most time, Tom has the second most time, and Harry has the third most time. Right. Well, so this is something interesting. Like Brian Fuller had talked about how in later seasons they fell into this sort of habit of making Harry and Tom just the guys, and they didn't okay. get as many interesting sure. stories. So when I interviewed those two guys, I asked them about that, and we talked about it. And I think, you know, they they thought that that was fair to say they sort of agreed with it and i think that at the beginning of the show harry and tom were sort of the accessible characters sure. that people could come in with because they were more traditional kind of star trek characters and so as the show evolved they didn't need that so much anymore like suddenly we got to know everybody and so we didn't oh, okay. anyone was accessible mm-hmm. and so i think then you see a shift like i listen to their they do a podcast the Delta Flyers, where they go mm-hmm. through every episode. And so they're all, you know, season one is all about them. And I think as we get there in season two now, and I think as they get further along, they're going to find whole episodes where they're barely there. Sure. Oh, yeah. So, okay. By by yeah. the end, by the end the, of the whole series, the characters who had the least screen time um, in Ascending Order were Harry, uh, no, Belana, Harry, and Tom. They, they uh, in terms of totals time, those are the three characters I had the least. Uh, no, and then Neelix got bumped off the list, so Neelix was below them. Well, Neelix was off the show earlier than everybody but else. But only by, like, a couple episodes, right? Yeah. Even, I mean, I mean, if you look at total screen time, I think Seven is still number three, even though she only appeared halfway through. It's just bonkers how she just grabbed the show by the throat and dragged it away. And buried it. Well, it's also, you know, the writers sitting there looking at who they've got to play with. There's just yeah. so much more rich. There's there's richness with the captain, with the yeah. doctor. Although I, I think they overdid it on the doctor. Oh, and... yeah. Oh, that's its whole own podcast, Lori. Let's, yeah. come, let's come back in a couple of weeks and talk about that. It's because you don't go to the Kentucky Derby and leave your prize stallion at home, as a wise man once said. And Robert Picardo was probably the best actor there. So how could you he's, not use him? He's great, but some episodes just felt like showcases for Robert Picardo. Yeah, espe- great, especially yeah. with the, with great the singing moments. and everything. Yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 100%. Even though he yeah. was, you know, that's why I liked his evolution. And I like that he started, you know, for him as an actor, it was hard for him because he felt like all he had to do was say things in a very deadpan kind of straightforward way. Sure. But I love that because you could always feel his energy anyway. Mm-hmm. that there was something else going on and i do think there was great evolution they raised great ethical questions that i don't think they ever fully even answered that were great things to ponder but then they would just get into like half an hour of him singing and you know, <laughs> yeah. not well and i think that's to, a little easier ta- to tack onto that what you're saying laurie i think you're totally right and i think Another reason that I really enjoy the evolution of the character is that Robert Picardo does a really good job with it. Like, yeah. if if you um, were to play a scene that, like, assuming, you you know, th- let's say you'd never, um, it was like an, an, an unknown episode that never aired before, right? And you see a scene with the Doctor, you could tell immediately, like, approximately what season it was. 
Yes. And even just by how he moves and speaks and not necessarily yeah. what the dialogue is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the yeah. way, like his tonality, the way he holds himself, he's a lot more snobby in the beginning. Yep. And just unfeeling. Yeah. So that's really, it's really fun to see that. Like we watched um, an episode recently in our, our Trek movie, Trek movie night that we do every Sunday um, of Voyager called Shattered where they're in all, there's all these different time zones, um, timelines happening all over the, the, the ship Voyager. And I noticed immediately at the beginning, you, you run into the doctor and um, before they've even introduced the fact that the, the ship is fractured at all these different time, at these different times, you can tell that he's, it's like, wow, he seems like first season doctor right now. Yeah. Like it's a tip off. Yep. Yeah. He's a terrific actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, um, I, Brent Spiner did similar stuff with Data, like when, and, and it's on display best in All Good Things, where we see encounter ah, Farpoint sure. Data as yeah. super uh, robotic, let's say. Mm-hmm. Almost comically naive about certain things. And I feel yeah, that they yeah. kind of did the same thing with him too, which was they recognized what they had in Brent Spiner, and then some episodes are just too much, look at wacky Data. So Masks. Yeah, for me, it's Fistful of Datas. Is like oh, yeah. My yep, least, yep, yep, yep. Might be my least favorite episode. Um, oh, wow. Because <laughs> it's just, look, he's in a dress. <laughs> right. Like, it just yeah. got to be too, to, again, that was a showcase. And it didn't feel like a great episode. It just felt like it. I mean, people love that one, but it's not one that I like. What can I say? But that said, you know, the, the evolution is clear. And I think a lot of Voyager's characters went through a lot of great evolution and that you could probably with most of them, if you, someone just put a scene on, you could probably tell sort of at what point in the series that was. Mm-hmm. Except, okay. I mean, Chakotay kind of stayed the same, I would say, of all of them. Which annoys me because I think Robert Beltran has... And, well, at least certainly in the mid-90s, had uh, enormous charisma. And of all the first officers on all the different series, he seems to be the one who does the most first officering, right? Where he does a lot of, like, uh, uh, walking with someone in the hall and, and managing and counseling them. Like, in... in yeah. um, uh, uh, I mean, and they play with that in the episode we're going to talk about a little bit with Worst Case Scenario, where we see Sinister Chakotay. But he's... <laughs> He, he seems to actually be doing his job, right? And he seems to be doing it in a way where, uh, like, you, if were I working for him, I would want to make him proud of me, right? Like, of all the first officers and all of Star Trek, Chakotay is the one I would want to work for. I certainly would not want to work for Riker, who, you know, as a young man, I watched and thought, oh, he's he's so handsome and awesome. I want to I want to be like him when I grew up. But now I look at him and say, this is a guy who's the dumbest guy in the room but thinks he's the smartest guy because he's the tallest one, Aww. right? Oh, especially, <laughs> d- don't, well, I mean, maybe that's his whole own episode too, but particularly, like, in the episode with Barkley where, like, he he's so coarse and callous oh, and, like, dude. oh, this guy's this guy's not good enough for us? Let's get rid of him. It's like, don't you're even supposed get me started to be a manager. About that episode. Holy <laughs> crap. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole episode. other podcast. Yeah. I have so much to say about that episode. Yeah, but Chakotay never uh, demonstrated that kind of arrogance. He never thought that's, like that's a, that. You gotta discount that episode. That's an anomaly. That one yeah. with with Barclay. It that was very 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 badly badly handled. Okay. I agree. All right. Well, we'll we'll table that one for now. But I do think 
maybe they learned some lessons from that, and I think they did a better job, even though they could have fleshed out the character a, a little better in terms of him executing his responsibilities. I think they did a good job with Chakotay. At least that's well, I like I like that they made him like very strong, but not macho. He was gentle, okay. even though yeah. he was macho enough that look, he could build as. Our friend Christine would say he could build bathtubs. He could build, you know, he's the guy you'd want if you're stranded on a planet. He'd probably be pretty helpful. But and except he's, he's the only Indian in the drive. galaxy who can't start a campfire. <laughs> but he was right. <laughs> but he was basically gentle and thoughtful. And I yeah. and I'll say this: I think he had chemistry with Balana, with yep. Captain Janeway, and. Yeah. Everyone's going to disagree with me. I think he had it with Seven of Nine. He disagrees with me. He <laughs> says that was a terrible story. I thought they were good. So I think he had good chemistry with every, every time they paired him up with a woman, it totally worked. Didn't hmm. matter who it was. There we have it. The, the, uh, the shuttle pod cast and the trekmovie.com broader community approves of Robert Beltran's performance as Chicote. <laughs> But yet, I would say he became, the, I'm sorry, the least interesting character. No doubt. No question. And his, no question at all. And, the, and probably my least, well, my in my three worst episodes is his boxing one. Oh, it's, the thing that bugs me about that is how they try to jam Boothby into his backstory as out of, <laughs> out of desperation. Ooh, yeah, that's not, that's not a good look. Yeah, that was just not a good episode. But anyway. Well, yeah. hey, speaking do, of episodes. Do we want to get yes. into that? I do, yeah. I do want to spend some time because all of us, um, and we don't have to spend a tremendous amount of time going over each of these with a fine tooth yeah. comb, but each of us did pick two episodes that we just wanted to talk about and sort of highlight. And yeah. I wouldn't even say, I mean, you guys can say what, what influenced your picks. I wouldn't say they're necessarily my favorite top two episodes. They're just two that stand out to me. Yep. Um, and, and specifically what we wanted to do is pick one from before Seven appeared and one from after she appeared. Yeah, just to sort of highlight the point that Jared made um, that the show took a completely different term, turn and different tone um, that's sort of a defining moment in the show is the arrival of Seven of Nine. And so, and also it's just a nice way to highlight like a couple early episodes and a couple late episodes. Okay, Kayla, let's do, do it. Do you want to start us off? Oh, sure, we also, yeah. in, just for if, if there's, for curiosity's sake, if, if there might be a gauge, we also have looked up uh, the IMDb ranking of the episodes to see how popular they are among people who put their rankings on IMDb. <laughs> Which yeah, we typically I, I, strongly disagree with, but it's right. still fun. It's a very specific group of people, and we are not among them. Well, but there, <laughs> there are a couple on here that I think are very relevant that they're rated as highly as they are. So um, I will also go ahead and read... Um, the memory alpha description of each of these episodes to remind our listeners which episodes that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Uh, I'm going to start with my pre-7 episode, which is from season 2, episode 21, called Deadlock. And um, again, I wouldn't necessarily say this is one of my like top, very, very, very top episodes. I really like this episode. Um, but the reason I picked it is something I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, that... I felt Voyager got to play around with a lot of what-if scenarios. Um, and this episode feels very much to me like um, like a what-if episode. Um, so the the here's the memory alpha description of this episode. It's very succinct. While trying to avoid Vidian territory, Voyager is nearly destroyed by proton bursts coming from an unknown source. 
Which doesn't really tell you what, what yeah, episode it is. No, that doesn't at all. It, it is the episode where um, they start doing some proton burst thingy. I don't know. And it like, <laughs> there's like a rift in space time or whatever. And it splits the, the, the Voyager into two ships that are like overlapping. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So that we have the image of the Captain Janeway staring herself down. Exactly. And like yeah. one of the ships, everything goes to hell. And because the proton bursts from the other ship are like destroying it and it gets very confusing. But like basically one ship is like gone to gone to hell. They lose the bridge. It's on fire. And the other ship is like fine. Yep. Um, and then what's what I think is really cool is that at the end of this. So you're so there's this you know discussion. The moral dilemma of the show is basically one Janeway has to sacrifice her ship for the other Janeway and the other ship. And which, you know, it seems obvious all along that, like, they're going to try to save both ships and merge them back together. But, like, inevitably, the Janeway on the on the cra- the, the ship that's gone to hell is going to have to give up, you know. And in the end, um, the, the, like, good Voyager, like, pristine Voyager, gets attacked by the Vidians, who can't see the gone to hell Voyager. Um, and the, the, the pristine Voyager is the one that has to sacrifice itself for the other ship, which has become really damaged. And, um... The other thing that's cool about this episode, because there's two of everyone now, on the ship that went to hell, um, also what was happening during this episode was the birth of Naomi Wildman, Mm. who on the ship that went to hell died um, shortly after birth, and also Harry Kim was blasted out into space. Yeah, that's right. So fun fact, Harry Kim and Naomi Wildman are like the alternate versions of themselves. That's cool. For the rest of the show. Yep. Yep. I love that episode. I always really what, like what that is, one. Uh, this one. This one's not in my uh, vocabulary. What is it about this episode that you two like so much? I really like the idea of this sort of what if thing. I really like, like I love what if comics. Um, mm, sure. Where, you know, kind of, this is um, sort of a, a crystallization of that idea of what if these two different things happen to the same group of people? Like, how would they make different choices? You know, what would that lead to? Um, and like I said, I think that really highlights a theme that Voyager gets to play around with a lot is just like, you know, the little one-off stories of, well, what if they encountered this? Or what if they encountered that? Or what if, you know, there were, and like the year of hell is a huge one, um, which is a lot of people's favorite. And that's very much for me a what if, because it yeah. gets sort of erased at the end of it. Like this one kind of does in a way. It gets kind of erased and, and they, they get to go on about their business without there being that much real consequence for them but we still got to explore that possibility hmm i guess i should yeah, rewatch I just, deadlock is what you're saying Lori. i'm sorry what I do you like about it? it i rewatched it today um and i was really i i mean i'm i'm a bit of a sap so when the baby died i got really upset i mean i'm a mom so there's that too but i found that mo- uh, emotionally moving more so than i'm sure the first time i saw it hmm um but I, yeah, what I like about it is that it, it subverts expectations because we don't <laughs> expect Harry Kim to die. Sure. Like Harry Kim's not going to die. And then Harry Kim dies and we just have to deal with that. And that baby's not going to die. And then the baby dies. And mm. then, you know, the Vidians show up. And just So I like I, I like the switch. I like that. You're right. The mm-hmm. whole time you think you're heading towards this, these two possible scenarios and it ends up being a third one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everybody, you know, and the, the, the Janeways, when they have their discussion, um, they know, they know what they have to do, like each one. And so they don't have to get into a huge uh, argument about it. They just go, listen, this is what makes the most sense. All right. Mm-hmm. 
They they stand uncomfortably close to each other. They <laughs> do. Explain. They do. They, <laughs> they shot is composed very weirdly. It feels like they were so excited that they could get them that close to each other. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, and also the, the like, Janeway from the Hellish ship is clearly, like, they haven't given her a good eyeline for right. the pristine Janeway. So she's, like, kind of looking at her neck whenever she turns <laughs> to look at her. <laughs> and they, they just look like they're about to kiss the whole time. Yeah, they no, are it's, very it's oddly an, close. It's an old management technique. You don't look someone right in the eye. You look them a little bit above or below to kind of unsettle right. them so you can hold the gaze well, Is that longer. true? No, Dwight but Dwight says yes, that's a sales yes, technique. Yes, <laughs> oh God, yes, well done, Lori. <laughs> I just heard that today on a podcast. By the way, that beautiful, clip. <laughs> beautiful. Okay, so now Deadlock, in, in in if I can segue to the next one, so is rated number twenty five on IMDb. So a very popular episode, and the one I wanted to talk to talk about is coincidentally rated number twenty six. So about the same caliber or at least popularity of episode and that is the third season episode worst case scenario which is one of those episodes i think this is a little more uh, uh, better known episode which and it's one of those where they did go back and revisit the starfleet mucky conflict because what's happened is there's this buried hollow, no- hollow novel with according to memory alpha high entertainment value depicting a maquis mutiny found by Tom and then populated throughout the whole the whole crew. Um, this is one Well, Bolana finds it initially. Oh, it was Bolana? Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, and okay, Bolana and Tom are the ones working on it and then they realize that it's Tuvok who wrote it because he did it not for entertainment value, but as like a training exercise because he was planning contingencies in case the Maquis ever mutinied. And I think just the concept of this is one that resounds really well with people, which is why mm-hmm. it's so popular. Because it seems like the kind of thing where, you know, Star Trek in the 90s, they were never actually going to do that. They were never actually going to have a mutiny where the main characters were shooting against each other sincerely. Like, they'd only do that if someone was mind-controlled. Like in that one episode, of the first season episode of Deep Space Nine, where they recover these artifacts from the Gamma Quadrant that drive everyone crazy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, and Cisco builds a clock, which is the lasting <laughs> legacy of that episode. Oh yeah, he's obsessed so that, with building that and, clock. And the clock is there the whole rest of the series. Yes. Anyway, okay, so um, I rewatched this episode today. I hadn't seen it for a long time. I understand why it's popular. I I really like it. I uh, um, it does revisit that thing I complained about about Chakotay not blinking at the fact that Tuvok totally betrayed him because the Seska hologram confronts Tuvok about that and with as she finally after three years he gets held accountable for trying to <laughs> kidnap these people and throw them in jail so they could not defend their homelands from lizard space Nazis um this uh, uh, uh let's see if some of the notes that I have here oh one joke that's been said about this is that they'd so um relegated the fact that there wasn't actually going to be conflict to these crews between these crews was that the only way they could do it was on the holodeck right they could only do it as kind of a comedy episode and then of course the holodeck safety protocols get turned off and everything goes wrong but in terms of holodeck gone wrong episodes this is hardly the worst offender i don't think this is even in the top 10 anyway i uh, i think this is a great episode people get to show their range a little bit better and worth a rewatch if you haven't seen it for a while. Anyway, what mm-hmm. do you, what do you two think about this? I like that the characters are as excited by this scenario as the viewers. 
Ah, like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we think it's we go in and we think, oh, it's so fun because we finally get to see like Seska being evil again and all this yeah. stuff, and the and the conflict and the and you know when they discover this this thing that they think is a hollow novel and they don't realize it's a training program, they think it's so fun that they can't get enough of it. So I thought that was a really nice a nice touch to that one. I was always happy to see Seska come back. I thought she was yeah, a good yeah. character. I like Seska. I always love when you see um, when there are stories about writers writing, like the mm-hmm. writers wrote a story about writers. Because mm-hmm. um, to me, I'm always imagining that they're drawing very heavily from their own experiences with writing. Oh, first, I think they were writing about writing Star Trek specifically. I think so too. Ah, I think so too. Because everybody keeps chiming in thinking they know what would be better. <laughs> exactly. And I always, I, too, when I was watching this episode today, I was like, Okay, there's a, this is also like an allegory for the studio. I mean, maybe the studio having notes, right? And they, um, for, you know, first all the actors show up and say, um, you know, oh, make my character do this or make my character do that. Yep. And then yeah. like sort of Seska taking over um, once they go to start editing the program, Seska's hologram like takes over. And I feel like that's almost like the studio being like, you can't do this. You can't do that. We're going to rewrite your whole thing. And like the, the whole end of the episode is about how um, uh, on the outside of the holodeck, Janeway and Balana are trying to like rewrite the story to save Tom and Tuvok who are trapped in there. And they keep mm-hmm. saying like, no matter what we do, Seska's like, algorithms subroutines keep rewriting everything and i'm just imagining that it's like a dig at like every time we write something like the you know the the studio execs keep rewriting it (laughs) making us do different things that we don't want to do oh i didn't think about that at all that's terrific and at the end right they're they said you know they've everyone's still got more ideas for things they want to write and even chakotay's like and just don't make me the bad guy like nobody can ever leave them alone and i can only imagine what it was like for writers on star trek with other people who thought they had better ideas for what they were doing mm-hmm. whether it was the studio the actors their friends their families people they met fans. at the store yeah well now days, it's even more so the fans i think online being like here's yeah. what they should have done yeah yeah yeah, so I agree. That's a really fun episode. I really liked rewatching it. There's also one of the things, and I, Tuvok is my favorite character on, Vo- on Voyager, which I don't think, um, uh, I probably not how most people feel. And I like that they give him a sardonic, understated sense of humor, the, as much as you could for a Vulcan. And there's one bit where I think it's Neelix is talking about Tom's artistic contributions, and Tuvok says, I would hardly call Mr. Paris's efforts artistic. that even though he's logical he can make these wisecracks about people and there's even when we meet sulu sulu says don't tell me in flashback don't tell me vulcans don't have a sense of humor because i know better and the tuvok in that episode doesn't have a sense of humor but in the rest of the series i think he does yeah i think he does too i love Tuvok. and the best one i can't remember what episode is there's an episode where janeway is just totally losing it she's so pissed off at everyone and she's like people aren't showing up on time they're not their uniforms aren't clean they're spending too much time in the holodeck we need to do this 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 and this and tuvok with this great look on his face says shall i have them flogged as well captain okay that's that's in the episode that we're that i'm going to be talking about later beautiful beautiful inspired okay well then let's talk about the episode that you want to talk about now first which is (laughs) okay i wanted to pick a very early episode so season one episode five phage So the description from Memory Alpha is Neelix's lungs are removed by a race that suffers from a deadly phage that is slowly destroying their population, prompting them to harvest replacement organs and tissues from other species. 
Ooh. So it's a really, to me, I love this episode because it's very early on. We've already met. The nice thing about being far away from the Alpha Quadrant is we get to meet new aliens that we've never seen before. These guys are really scary and mm-hmm. hitting to look at. It's some they good body in- horror stuff. They do real, yeah, the makeup is fantastic. They do really horrible things and yet have this tragic backstory mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. gives them some depth. And the episode itself is full of all these very fun little uh, relationship moments between pairs of characters. So we oh, okay. have Kes has lots of conversations with the doctor about what are you and who are you and what do you deserve and can you grow? And they have all those conversations. We have that hilarious thing with, you know, once they're... Um, Oh no, and no, I'm thinking of the other one. Sorry, but there's these, there's, there's Janeway and Chakotay. Their relationship is starting to gel, finally, and they're becoming friends. And we have Neelix and the Doctor when they're trapped together in sick bay because Neelix, the Doctor comes up with this great. There's some good sciencing in this one, where mm. the Doctor decides he's going to invent holographic lungs. Oh yeah, that's Neelix. right. And so Neelix has to be held perfectly in place. He can't like a, move. like an iron so, lung. Right. And so he and the doctor are going to spend all this time together where the doctor realizes, oh, he doesn't know how to be nice to people. And Neelix has this great line where he starts complaining about the ceiling. Like there's just so much good stuff in there. Small moments along with the big ones. And then the big one is, you know, Captain Janeway is dealing with these people that she's repulsed by them and then sympathetic at the same time. So I thought that it brought up, it had science, it had a, a moral dilemma that was such a trademark of Voyager, was mm-hmm. these, you know, I'm going to mention Tuvix as a good moral dilemma, but uh, there are all these, all these questions that are really hard to answer because you understand that everybody has different needs. And even though she can't justify anything that the Vidians do, she does have some compassion for them and doesn't seem to like that she has compassion for them, but she can't help it. So the thing I want to interject there is I remember a couple of years ago at a convention, Arm, Armin Shimmerman, and you could tell he didn't want to say anything too negative about the franchise while he's being paid by the franchise to promote the franchise. But he said the big prejudice that Star Trek has never, ever challenged is appearancism, right? And it's easy to portray like the good aliens as pretty and the bad aliens as ugly, right? Like Vulcans and Bajorans have... Uh, pointy ears and crinkly noses, but the Cardassians and the Klingons, they have really heavy makeup and they're kind of bonkers, right? Or or the worst offender is insurrection, where the Baku are pretty and good and, uh, <laughs> and, and Ruafo's people are ugly yeah. and evil, right? And so here we have an example where she's learning to overcome that appearancism and not just say, ooh, these are, these are evil, grotesque space zombies. And instead, she's trying to see uh, their hearts rather than their their gross faces. I think she sees it even though she doesn't want to see it. I think she just wants to defend her crew. But she can't help it because they have this terrible disease that's ravaging them. So that's, to me, what makes it interesting. And it's just they're such a good villain. I mean, Mm. they show up for, you know, eventually they leave their space, but they show up and they're terrifying. And that instrument they have with the pointy things on it is menacing and scary and they have really good technology. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, to me, that's a great one for someone who wants to understand. It's a very good early, early episode to get a sense of also they're stranded. They don't have any help. It's just them. And they have to deal with everything. Everything's going to be brand new to them. 
Yep. Good pick, Lori. I'll, uh, I'll try to rewatch that one sometime soon. All right. Now we're going to transition to our post seven episodes. And of course, for, for those who maybe weren't alive at the time or weren't aware at the time, the thing that really blew up Voyager wasn't Voyager. It was the movie First Contact, right? Because that came and it hit the franchise and was so popular, did so well, and it's universally regarded as the best TNG movie that the guys writing Voyager just said, okay, we have to pivot. We have to adapt to this. And the thing that they adapted from that was the inclusion of the, the Seven of Nine character, who maybe isn't a huge character in these three episodes that we've each picked, but still has a presence in them. So having said that, Kayla, let's go to yours. All right, so my pick for the post-seven episode is actually one of my favorite episodes. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised, to, to, I guess, maybe I'm not, to see that the folks on IMDb agree with me and rated it number one mm. for the whole... Um, Whenever I put this one on social for Trek Movie, it does fantastically well. Really? Huh. Okay. Wow. I guess it I have great very, taste. very popular, and, more popular and, than I expected. And, and for me, also, I'm just glad it's not to go back to what I just said. I'm glad it's not a Borg episode. Hmm. Because I think this one is that. just so fun for me. So I, so I will reveal what we're keeping here, um, which is that the episode is um, from season six, episode 12, Blink of an Eye. Uh, you know, not to be confused with the TOS episode, <laughs> Wink of an Eye. Thank you. But with some similarities to that episode. Yeah. Um, and it is the episode where. The Voyager gets um, gets sort of trapped in orbit around this planet, and the planet is experiencing time at a different rate than the rest of the universe. So um, Voyager is trapped there for a number of hours or days, but it, you know, years, centuries are passing below them on the surface. So from the perspective of this planet, vo this this like star appears in the sky, the super bright star when they're a very primitive culture and then just stays there f until they become um, a spacefaring civilization. Um, and you know, they develop um, they develop uh, telescopes so that they can see that it's like some kind of spaceship that's there um, and it's just really ingrained in their culture um, to the point where they they end up trying to send one of one of their people up to Voyager um, to make contact with this ship that's there, and at the same time, Voyager figures out a way to send the Doctor down to the planet to do reconnaissance because he's the only one who could survive that kind of time change. Because they can tweak the program. Mm -hmm. And so he goes and like lives this whole life down on the planet, and like has like a favorite baseball team or whatever. And, like, has this whole other merry life down there, and he's only gone from Voyager for, like, I don't know, a minute or less or something. Um, but anyway, it's one... And so a couple of things I love about this episode is that um, it's another... It's sort of a what-if scenario. Um, it's, like, this little one-off story, a nice self-contained story, which are my favorites. I prefer the more more um, episodic things to the serialized ones because you get mm. to really dive into one certain concept. Um, and... Uh, it also has that um, that sort of theme or trope of the sort of less less advanced person as like a fish out of water on Voyager. So you have the the people who are the astronauts coming to see Voyager, and then they like integrate into the Voyager's timeline, and they're one of them survives, and they're kind of like um, you know seeing the wonders of Voyager for the first time, and and it's all like magical to them and everything. And and it's Daniel Day Kim. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I just really, really love this episode. It has a lot of my favorite sort of sci-fi tropes in it. And um, it's just a lot of fun. And I'm glad to see that other people agree with me, even if those people um, tend to share very different opinions from me on <laughs> the rankings of Star Trek episodes. It also this... has, there's no bad guy in it. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, that too, right? It's not like, um, it's not like a, you know, who's going to win or a battle or anything. It's just an exploration of this theme. That's yeah. it. It's just, a, that's what I mean by it's a what if. It's just like, what if there's a planet that was had a different time than the rest of the galaxy? Go from there. You know, so I love that kind of story. So I really like huh. Blink of an Eye. Wow. I also and... think that shot at the end is gorgeous. When they do that closing shot and you see it's Daniel Day Kim, I guess, as an old man. That's right. Sitting yeah. on his planet. Watching and it's Voyager leave. Really beautiful shot. It's a good episode. Hmm. And I and... like that it is sort of a nod to Wink of an Eye, which is sure. one of my favorite cheesy original series episodes. <laughs> Super cheese. <laughs> I know, but I love it. <laughs> well there you go i had no idea it was so popular um and that's cool that you picked it out for this the one i picked as well is also consistently rated in the top 10 uh of voyager episodes and that is the message in a bottle which starts off with seven having figured something out using her superior knowledge in her amazing astrometrics lab where she finds a way to send a data packet back to the Alpha Quadrant. And what she does is she they, they end up sending the Doctor back to a, a prototype of an experimental Starfleet vessel called the Prometheus, right? And they have this fun battle with some Romulans, and it's the episode that first, let A, lets the Alpha Quadrant know that Voyager is out there, and B, communicates back to Voyager that the Dominion War is going on. But this episode at the time was most famous because of the guest starring of Andy Dick as the EMH Mark II. And that may have been a little bit of a risk there because they thought, well, if the EMH Mark II ever comes back, are we going to have to get Andy Dick? At the time, he was starring on news radio, which coincidentally I just rewatched. Andy Dick is an unpredictable fellow, and that yes. is generous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was fun to have somebody who was a star otherwise appear on Star Trek. This is this is an, a an action episode and it's a comedy episode and I think they pull off both of them well. There's great chemistry between him and and Robert Picardo and this may be a, a, a shooting for the stars but it would be fun for to see a convention where there's the two of them are on stage and they do a retrospective about this. Um, the thing and you know we're running out of time so I'll keep this brief. The one thing my main takeaway from this is the Prometheus has it can split into three parts. And it's basically, I think somebody said, hey, you know how we never really did the saucer separation on TNG except like <laughs> twice? Let's do a ship that splits into three. And so <laughs> multi-vector assault mode is when the Prometheus splits into three parts. And that gives it, you know, better tactical capabilities. Um, when I, and this will, a trait anecdote I used like four years ago, I had a job where whenever the going got tough and we really needed to, to, to um, hitch up our pants and run, I would refer to it as we need to enter multi-vector assault mode. And one of my coworkers, she liked it so much, she just started referring to it as MVAM for short. And so that's, <laughs> that's always so been my takeaway from that's this. so good. The other guest star is Judson Scott, who was in yes. The Wrath of Khan and yep. Next Generation Symbiosis. Symbiosis. Yeah. But they gave him this really weird chair to sit in 
which is the thing I always notice about that episode is it looks like they just rolled it in from the conference next the conference room next oh, to the bridge which they it's may like have the done. weirdest you have to watch that weird it's like the weirdest it's just he's sitting on this platform by himself on this very strange chair that doesn't look like it belongs there <laughs> it's random but it just strikes me every time this I gotta be honest this is not one of my favorite episodes oh interesting I, I think they're funny. The two of them are funny together, mm-hmm. but I always forget the point of it. Like, what was happening? You know, I, I find the points hard to hold on to because the story itself wasn't that interesting. The interplay no. between them was. And the message at the end, that nice little moment at the end where he, where the doctor tells them everyone now knows and I can, told them, you know, the families are going to be informed that you're all okay. I yeah. thought that was a nice little moment, but I found in the middle of the episode, I just forget what they're doing and why. Yeah. The other thing, I just have to interject that there's a little bit of a... Con- you talk about the story not making sense. It really didn't seem to make sense to the writers because they they make continuity errors not just in the broader Star Trek, but within the episode itself. So, for example, they talk about rendezvousing with the Tal Shiar fleet. And the Tal Shiar, the Romulan CIA, they don't have a fleet. And if they did, they built one in secret in Deep Space Nine a couple years earlier, and it got blown up. So that's a little bit of a continuity error. Although they talk about the Tal Shiar having a fleet in Disco 2. So it's a thing that somebody really wants them to have. The other thing is we see the Romulans have figured out effortlessly how to fly the Prometheus. But at one point, the EMH Mark II points out that only four people in Starfleet have been taught to fly it. So it's like, this is the hardest thing in the world to fly. Eh, unless you're a Romulan, then you can do it without any problem. <laughs> and that so frequently, if you're trying to do something silly... Uh, you don't worry as much about the details because the main thing is, is it making people laugh? And if it is, then yeah. nothing else matters. Yeah. Well, they did do that. They yeah, they did. And even if it's not one of your favorite lawyers, you certainly would acknowledge that it's one of the more, uh, um, what's the English word? More uh, uh, well-known episodes. I don't know. I always forget about it. I always forget he was on it, even. <laughs> really? It's even, even as a, it sticks out even to me, a, for sure. I don't know. Maybe I've just mixed, confused thoughts about that. But it's just, to me, it, it wasn't a great story. It was just a vehicle for some really fun scenes. Yeah, I would agree. Which is okay, especially if that vehicle can split into three parts. hey <laughs> <laughs> Which it can. <laughs> so, Lori, I'm dying to hear what your pick is. So yeah. I, this is, I, I wanted to pick one. I'm doing a little intro. Forgive me. I wanted to pick one from season seven and I was going to go with workforce because I love that episode and it's so ballsy to do something yeah. so unique and different when you're yep. so close to the end of the show. Yep. But I ended up picking a favorite of mine that when I looked on the internet, it is not a favorite of other people in general. It gets bad reviews. Scientific method is one of my all time favorite episodes. And I love it. So the premise of it, according to Memory Alpha, is one sentence. A group of aliens perform experiments on the crew without their knowledge. <laughs> That's like so many Star Trek episodes. <laughs> right. But the cool thing is, is that the, the crew can't see them. And they're doing all these terrible things to them. And at some point in the episode, the doctor is hiding it from them in the holodeck in tights. And he communicates with Seven through her implant. And gives her something so she can now see all the aliens. And it's so terrifying. I love the way it was shot, just the way they filmed it. She gets in the turbo lift and this alien comes in and sticks a probe in her. And she has to stand there as if she doesn't even realize that there's somebody there. 
and she knows that they're jabbing something into her. The captain is getting the worst headaches you ever had. And Kate Mulgrew plays this like you. she looks so pained in every single scene like she's fighting this thing and there's that great scene when seven comes in to say to her like there are these aliens all over the ship and there are two aliens on either side of Janeway like basically drilling these things into the side of her head so we have the the horror movie kind of stuff of that which I thought was great and then these hilarious weird scenes like like Tom and Balana sneaking around and fooling around which is why Janeway gets all mad and Tuvok says that thing about the flogging and also like Neelix and Chakotay sitting in sickbay comparing symptoms like two old guys on a bench. Nice. It's just very, <laughs> very, very funny. Like each one huh. trying to prove that they have it worse than the other one. So I thought it was smart. I thought it was scary. I thought it was funny. I thought, again, we got all these great little character moments and freaky things. Um, and then... The end of it is interesting because, you know, we've there are always those episodes of Star Trek where the captain says, well, if you're going to do that to us, we're going to self-destruct. And then they don't oh, okay. have to in the end. Yeah. And in yeah. this one, like they Nagilum. actually she says, I'm taking us into this, you know, whatever thing it was that they were the binary pulsar. I think it was. And she just takes them in like they actually do go in and they do risk it because she needs those aliens to leave. And mm. she blames them. And she says, you've been pumping up my dopamine. So this is what you've got. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> love it. So I I love it. And like huh. Tom and Balana, to me, it makes their relationship seem more real to me. Interesting. Huh. So I, that, that's one that never really landed with me. I guess I have to rewatch it. Is it, is it interesting, Lori, both of the episodes you picked are kind of horror episodes. Are you a big horror movie fan? No, I hate horror movies. Interesting. <laughs> Honestly, I do. I hate unless, them. Unless but, it's Voyager. Well, it's just, it's you know, there's nothing like gory or, you know, there are no jump scares and there's nothing supernatural. So to me, those are the things I don't like about horror. Okay. But I just, I found it, it was more to me like that Seven, this was one of our first Seven has special abilities that save the ship episodes, okay. which she yeah. got a lot more of later on. Yeah. But the fact that it was so difficult for her because she had to keep pretending she couldn't see stuff that she could see and I thought Jerry Ryan did an amazing job of of conveying all that just by the look in her eyes and then she realizes I need help and she gets everybody to help so I just it was it's one of those that to me it's always entertaining to watch it's such a fun episode interesting huh I'll have to rewatch it and it's not popular it, well it was rated on IMDb this was rated number one 33 so that's pretty good but I went and looked up reviews, and every review of it was bad. Really? <laughs> That's way yeah. more popular than The Phage. That was rated number 111. I know. Oh, well. Those IMD beers, what are you going to do with them? <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I still give some love. I still want everyone to go watch Workforce, though, because I came really close to picking that one. It That's just a fun always... one, too. Isn't, is that the one where they, like, lose their memories or something, and they're all, yeah. they're all working, yeah. like, they're working for Ralph Mouth from Happy Days. Legit? Is <laughs> it legit Ralph Mouth? Yeah, it's done most. Oh, that's, that's amazing. I don't oh, remember that part. Really? But I remember them like working some menial labor or something. Dude. Yeah, he's hey, the villain. He's the villain. I had no idea. So D Donnie Most, he was also the voice of the Cavalier on the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. I, I need to rewatch <laughs> that. I had no idea. Yeah, he's the bad guy. So he's the one who was engineering the whole thing. But it's a two-parter. And the big thing for Janeway in that is, like, she meets this guy and moves in with him. 
and you get to see her without the response with no responsibility her only responsibility is to herself and to keep a job because it's all about how important it is to be employed for those people Uh um and so you get to see her in this whole other light as someone who just wants to like have a nice day and go home to her cute dude and make dinner and fool around and so she has a little bit of sadness at the end she says you know she wouldn't trade it for anything but mm-hmm. but she has a moment where she's just sad to have left that peace behind yeah yeah that's that if you can get to a point in your life where you're just satisfied i think a thing with like a lot of ambitious people yeah like yeah yeah captains yep. are obviously portrayed as like very very ambitious people they're never quite satisfied yeah um it's hard. i had i had this girlfriend whose mom was like a life-saving breast cancer oncologist at the Huntsman Cancer Institute here in town. And she would say, I wish my job was just cleaning signs on the side of the highway. I just want to do something relaxing with no pressure. I'm like, really? That's what you want? I mean, obviously, this was what you dreamed of. That's why you worked so hard for it. You, um, but, you know, it's, it's, I think it's also just a case of grass is greener-itis. Either way, I think we can all agree that Janeway's workforce life is probably a better fantasy for her than being the governess. No, ah, good point. <laughs> anything to, to would be. Anything. Oof. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that wraps it up. Unless anyone has any closing thoughts. Just that, um, I mean, I'm curious to hear from our listeners about what your some of your favorite episodes are or just picks of like episodes that stand out to you, because I am really raring to do more of a Voyager rewatch right now. Maybe not a wholesale from start to finish yet, but I want to go and cherry pick some episodes. So I'm looking for suggestions. I got a bunch of great suggestions here, but give me give me more ideas about like just great one off or two off episodes I should go watch. I got a list for you. All right. <laughs> I'm sure. I'll send it to you. Sweet. <laughs> but yeah, I'd love to hear what people. I first of all, I'd love to know if people like, um, you know, the mine because nobody does scientific method. <laughs> and message I'm gonna in a go bottle. Rewatch it. I gotta message go in a bottle. I had know. to rewatch because I didn't really remember very much about really? it except some comedic stuff. So that would be interesting to find out what people think really? about those. It's so memorable and like in video games since then. So many video games go out of their way to include the Prometheus. Oh, that's funny. Beca- because they huh. like that. Hey, here's a cool different here's a cool different uh, uh, type of ship. Well, I hope they give it a better captain's chair. <laughs> here's yeah. hoping. They need a captain's chair that splits into three. <laughs> Just everything on the ships is split into three. The four. As- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can grab, you can stab three pieces of meat at once. <laughs> That's just how they roll on the Prometheus. Mm-hmm. The pants, for some reason. Oh, you know who should be the captain is uh, uh, Eric's Lieutenant Eric's, because he's got three arms. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the ship made for a three-armed man. Yes. Exactly. Finally, finally. That's what finally. We I just said, so, someone make that happen. Someone make us, like, a gif or a still image of Eric's commanding the Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, then. Uh, and if you do, you'll get a free Trek movie shirt. Why not? There you go. <laughs> I'll we'll reach into my one, own pocket. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for everyone who stuck with us. We know this went a little longer than normal. Um, thanks, Lori, for coming on our show. And, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime. 
Thank you for sharing your expertise about a series that I, you know, have opinions on but need to to revisit more. And just before we sign off for good, just a quick reminder about our Patreon page, Ad Break. Um, seriously, though, we love you guys and we really appreciate you just listening to us and that's enough for us. But that said, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, um, you know, please feel free to head to our, our Patreon page and, and sign up. Um, we can't promise too much extra stuff. Except for that whenever I remember, I will send something funny or post like a funny clip or something on the Patreon page. But really, it's just there for um, if you guys, you know, want to, like I said, buy us a cup of coffee um, or, or a beer or a, or a tea, whatever, you know, your drink of choice is. Uh, we would love we would love for you guys to do that. Um, and if not, that's cool, too. We just are glad you're here. Absolutely. Thank you for your friendship and your followship. And thanks for having me on, guys. Anytime. Definitely. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Take care. Bye.